Hey everyone and welcome back to the It's Good to Talk podcast. I am joined by Renza Shabilia, who is going to be the first person from Australia on the podcast. Uh, we've had Belgium, we've had Canada, we've had um, America, we've had all over the place. We have not had an Aussie on the show yet, so we've got someone that can, can match my level of swearing if it comes to it. So, um, But we're going to be talking about uh, diabetes and uh, chronic illnesses and how that affects things with mental health. Obviously, we have had uh, someone before previously talking about lupus, uh, but this is a far more common um, thing that people suffer with. So, uh, Renza, how are you doing? Hello. I like a challenge. I love the idea that uh, we're going to go head to head and try and work out. How to <laughs> I'm going to try not to. Let's try and keep myself. <laughs> no promises. Thanks so much for having me on here. No, no problem at all. Um, I think all we need is someone from uh, the Netherlands and we'd both lose. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so as I say, we're, we're going to be talking about um, diabetes and how it affects uh, mental health. I know you um, have been on a podcast with Untapped Keg before um, and you've talked about things there. And obviously Untapped Keg has been on here and I've been on there and it's very incestuous with podcasts. But, um, <laughs> but if you want to just uh, kind of tell everyone like your story, how it's how you've come about to do what you do now. Yeah, so uh, I have type 1 diabetes. I was diagnosed um, 24 years ago now. I was 24 when I was diagnosed, so now you all know how old I am. Um, and uh, I knew nothing about diabetes. There's no diabetes in my family. Um, so it was one of those things where your life does change. You're told that everything's going to be normal, and to a degree your life still goes on, but now there is this extra added burden, I guess, of a, of a chronic health condition. Um, at the time, I was teaching. I was actually running a teaching um, music teaching business, um, and I was told to uh, get rid of some stress in my life, and so that's what I got rid of was running my own business. Um, I, I've been working in diabetes organisations for 20 years now, just over 20 years, um, and, I, and I'm a diabetes and a health advocate and activist and a bit, I guess, bolshy in the way that, you know, I really believe that people living with health conditions need to have a seat at the table when there are policy decisions being made about us or any conversation about us, actually. You know, nothing about us without us is the motto that I, I live by. Um, and one of the things that's really important when living with diabetes and many other chronic health conditions is that we don't only consider just the bits of your body that are affected by that health condition. So with, with diabetes, it's, it's to do with your pancreas, um, but... Uh, there is far more than just trying to work out what's going on there and how to manage uh, that. There is far, far more to think about. And a lot of that is how diabetes impacts on your mental health and emotional well-being. So I'm always thrilled when we're having a conversation that is more about just what are your glucose levels, but about the whole person. So let's go. Let's have this conversation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's one of those things I think is is jumped over that – we always talk about, especially in the UK anyway, we talk about mental health and we talk about physical health and very rarely do yeah. we talk about them together. And it's like one it will yeah. always affect the other. They just have, they have to. Because, Absolutely. you know, stress, anxiety is going to cause various uh, responses um, normally. I mean, sim the simple and obvious thing of things like panic attacks, that's having a physical response on you from, from a, a mental issue. And the same yeah. thing when if you're going through pain it's going to make you worry it's going to make you you know just on the simplest skin deep thing you can see yeah. that there's an impact but we so often just just jump over it and there's there's not really any connection at all and i mean i don't know about the um 
don't know about Australia, but I know in the UK that, for instance, diabetes is the leading reason for amputations. Um, yes. So obviously that is then another facet onto everything else as well. So, I mean, what what kind of things you say you're very bolshy, and I, I, I think some people would probably describe me as, as similar. Um, <laughs> but uh, what kind of barriers then have, have you seen come up against you? Because you, you say you've been doing this now for 20 ish years. Um, yeah. And obviously, uh, Australia has gone through quite a few different um, uh, prime ministers in that time, some of them better than others. Um, but we change prime ministers as frequently as some places change their um, their sheets. It feels like we haven't done that for a while, but there was a while there where you know it was like it was it was like whoever's holding the wooden spoon, it's their turn to be PM. So uh, yeah, 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 yes, it's very very much Lord of the Flies. I know I have I have relatives in Aus- in Australia, but um, um, yeah. I think personally from across uh, across the the ocean, the the best. PM that you seemed to have was your last was the one that was actually kind of English, um, which is Karen. Uh, I forgot her last name. Ginger haired and I completely forgot her name. Was it Karen? Julia Gillard. Here we go. Julia. Julia. Why have I Karen? Julia Gillard. Jesus, where's Julia that? Gillard. But yeah, she at least on an she international um, she, she did seem. Yeah. Um, and we get very political, but you'll probably lose viewers if I start to talk about just exactly how I feel about certain politicians. But so let's not do that. Let's I mean, about- I mean, my background <laughs> is politics. No, I was an elected politician locally. So, um. <laughs> well, just to, this will probably uh, give people a good idea of where I sit. My mum uh, is a recently retired president of a trade union. So. Okay. That might give you an idea of where I sort of sit on that spectrum. But let's talk mental health. I think that's <laughs> oh, right. These will these will never go exactly in the same direction. Don't worry. We we can we go off on on things all over the place. It's a straightforward. Um, but I mean, yeah, I'm 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 what a lot of people would would see as being in between in in England. Um, but yes, it, yeah. I think the fact that obviously you come across those those constant changes, chops and changes um, in in Parliament. Has that been a specific issue that you've come across? Because obviously in England, we tend to keep our PMs and our parties in power for quite a long time. You know, it tends to be you know, eight, nine, 10, 11 years that we're like, yep, you're all conservative, you're all Labour. You know, we did, again, have a period where uh, during Brexit, where it was just like bang, bang, bang. But, yes. you know, which would you prefer? You know, is it good that you have that constant change so you get someone that finally listens to you? Or, you know, what, what, what have been the problems you've come across in those 20 odd years? I have to say one of the things, my favourite word when it comes to, polit- to politics really is bipartisanship. Um, and one of the things that we're incredibly, incredibly fortunate about here is that both, it doesn't matter which side of the aisle you're sitting on, we have had really excellent support with diabetes um, Services. So we have a scheme in Australia called the NDSS, the National Diabetes Services Scheme. It was introduced back in, I think it was 1987, so it's been around for, for quite some time now. Um, and it is a brilliant scheme that means that if you have diabetes, you're, you're signed up to it um, at diagnosis, and it means that you then get subsidised um, diabetes supplies, um, you know, while you're living with diabetes forevermore. Um, and there are different criteria for different types of diabetes in there and, and different things are covered depending on that. 
Um, but that NDSS has been supported by both sides of, um, of politics. Um, we have had expansions of that service from, uh, from both sides of politics. So diabetes is very much recognised as a serious health condition. Yeah. Um, and in terms of, of this NDSS, we, we, we are very fortunate about it. And we've recently just um, had a massive announcement that has meant that for people with type 1 diabetes, one aspect of our diabetes management that for many has been very um, expensive has now been expanded to all people with type 1 diabetes. And we had bipartisan support for that before the last election. So it was kind of nice to sit back and just go, okay, well, it doesn't matter who gets in um, about this. Obviously, it doesn't matter who gets in. But, you know, for this particular issue, people with diabetes uh, can feel confident, with type 1 diabetes can feel confident that this will get across the line, um, whoever it is, who is the Prime Minister and whoever is sitting on that side of the chamber. Um, and so... That, that's one thing that we are very lucky about. But mental health, as with everything, is so rarely thought about as part of the diabetes, um, you know, about that multidisciplinary team. We talk about all the other health professionals that we want to bring on board, but saying let's add a psychologist to that as a routine part of that team, that hasn't happened. And, and I think we're only just really starting to have the conversations that we need to be having to, for people to really understand you know we know about it in the diabetes community people with diabetes obviously know how diabetes impacts on our mental health and our emotional health it's going to be different for everyone obviously there's no one everybody's going to react this way but um, across the board it is quite routine that people don't ordinarily and typically have a psychologist available to them as part of their, t their care team yeah it's I mean I can I can think of going off of the UK at least because my, my mother is type too diabetic um yeah, i yeah. don't believe there's ever been anything that's been suggested in, in those terms towards her because yeah. it's not something that's thought of and actually during i remember during covid when um somebody in the southwest of england suggested um that we should bump up people who are you know suffering severe mental health issues um to be dealt with in the same kind of way as certain people that have um you know physical ailments mm -hmm. and it caused such a massive stir um, of course, completely ignoring the fact that, for instance, the biggest killer of men under 40 in the UK is suicide. Well, and yeah. <laughs> so but but we don't we don't associate it there. So, so your fight really has not necessarily been on the the basics for diabetes, but for those things that actually make it a um, a comfortable life because, you know, you can keep people alive and you can you can keep um you know flames going on a fire but it doesn't mean it's going to last for long and that's yeah. that's the problem that I, I it sounds like you're coming across so i mean do you feel like because I, when i whenever i think about mental health in general um most people will not agree with me on this and um but i don't care um i don't think it's improved at all in 30 years i think there is more um noise about it I fucking hate Mental Health Awareness Month. That can go fuck itself um, because it is the biggest load of nonsense um, done by companies to pretend they give a shit. Um, and but only for that month. They only have to do it for a month. Exactly. Yes. It, only that month. They don't even know anything about anything at, at that point. Yeah. Um, and and so you know, I don't think there's actually been any improvement at all. There's just a lot more look at me nowadays and i mean you know that that goes for everyone granted you know i yeah. wouldn't have been on a on a podcast in the 90s doing this so is you know we yeah 
me and, and you. You know, we still we have part of that as well of, of look at us. There, there's some performative um, in that. Of course there is. Yeah. The problem is, is that you get performative and then you get an actual change. And I don't feel like mental health has really gone anywhere. Apart from the fact that we now don't look at Rain Man as being an explanation of autism because fucking hell. Um, so right. how have you seen or have you seen any real change? Or is it a kind of, oh, God, um, different day, same problem? I think that, I think there's a bit of both in there. And, you know, I am very Pollyanna-ish about a lot of things. So I try to look at um, things positively. So firstly, I can say that 24 years ago when I was first diagnosed with diabetes, at no point was the mental health side of diabetes even mentioned. Mm-hmm. Now, at least, it's mentioned a little bit, but there's also then quite a bit of, but we don't really know what to do about it. So what we have seen is there is increased awareness Um, there's increased research. And that's something that I think is really, really important is that when we actually have more research, we can, we've got evidence. And and that's really important for policymakers, for legislators, like for people who are throwing money at things or trickling money at things. Um, For health professionals, they need to be able to see that evidence. So that's something that I think has been really important is that um, we have people actually researching this now. So I don't know about other health conditions because the playground I play in is diabetes, but I can tell you that there are a number of things that have happened with different issues in diabetes. And here is how it goes. People with diabetes in the community talk about something and say, this is a real problem. Um, so here it's, you know, let's talk about mental health. Mental health is a re- real problem, but it's other things as well. It's also talking about the way diabetes is communicated about stigma associated with diabetes and other things as well. People in the diabetes community, this is an issue. This is something that I'm feeling. This is something that impacts my diabetes. And then we make enough noise that eventually there starts to be some research done and then there is a body of evidence that grows and grows and grows and suddenly there are there are researchers and clinicians going hey did you know that people with diabetes do you know that it, diabetes might also impact their mental health and people with diabetes in the community go yeah we've been talking about this for quite some time welcome to the party but we can be cynical about it and go took you long enough to get here or we can say yay we now have us talking about it and how it affects us and impacts on us day to day, the practicalities of it. And thank you for providing us with the theory and the research behind it. Now work out how to fix it for us because we need help to do that. We need the specialists. We need the drugs. Perhaps we need the tech, whatever it is that we need. We need that stuff. So, um, you know, I think that what, what we've seen is that there is that, that research is growing. You can't go to a diabetes international conference these days without mental health being firmly on the program. Probably wasn't 20 years ago. Yeah. It's a good thing. We're not there yet. God, there's so much more to do. Not yet there yet, but, but there it is, you know, the sands are shifting in, in a positive way, I think. Okay. So you do feel there's at least, um, some kind of change. The, the yeah. fact that it's even being mentioned. Um, yeah. Which, which, yeah. Which is good because obviously, yeah. as you say, you know, nobody, nobody suggested it. And I mean, it may be, like I say, my mother hasn't heard of it. I don't know if um, one of my friends from university was Taiwan. I don't know if he ever got anything like that. So maybe Probably that not. Australia's Probably not. 
little bit ahead yeah. of us. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, it could well be. No, but I will say that it's not part of routine care, though. So even though we're at a point where there is research, you, you will go into... So the big word in diabetes is multidisciplinary care. You know, there's your gold standard. You've got an endo, with type 1 diabetes. You've got an endocrinologist, a diabetes educator, a dietitian. You see a podiatrist. You get kidneys checked. You have an op- optometrist or ophthalmologist to get your eyes checked because we know that diabetes... Can you know there are there are diabetes related complications that we want to screen for, and if we get them, treat them early. But having a psychologist as part of that team is very very uncommon. It's not it's not normal. Some some clinics absolutely will, but most most certainly won't. So um, you know we may we may be aware of it now and talking about it, but we're not addressing it routinely in a way that everyone with diabetes can feel confident that if they need to see a psychologist. Number one, that they even know that there is a psychologist perhaps available to them, but number two, that they can see a psychologist, you know, easily. Yeah, it's just not suggested. So when, have you found that um, the people they are suggested to, the ones that do get that offered, that it's of any substance? Because I say this as someone, I'm very cynical, as it's probably um, uh, suggested, um, but for instance, in the NHS here, um, we, you do get counselling is offered on the NHS. However, it's CBT. It's cognitive behavioural therapy, which for some people, helpful. For vast yep. majority of people, fucking useless. Absolutely no good for, for me personally with OCD um, and, uh, and depression, you know, and things that I suffer from. It's of no good to me. You know, yeah. I, it, it actually is more likely to piss me off than anything else. Um, right. But it is the only thing offered. So it's like, well, it's that now. Uh, well, you're making yourself worse because you're not you're not getting that. Um, and then we have community um, mental health teams, uh, CMHT, who I th- this is more anecdotal, but I have not yet seen a single good word said about them. And I'm sure there are, but most people, it seems to be the, the thing that pushes them. And they are part of multidisciplinary teams. Um, right. The same buzzword. And that's why I was wondering if there's, it feels like there's any substance or is it just that, you know, they've, they've just put something in place and now you're trying to, bang them over the heads, go, no, 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 now do something. Yeah. So I can speak for myself and only myself, and I can say that I have a psychologist that I don't see all the time, but I see when I need to. Um, And uh, what has been important was finding a psychologist who understood chronic health conditions and and diabetes, right? So um, because there are, you know, the, the the reason I needed to have needed to see a psychologist mostly is because of feeling overwhelmed and burnt out and distressed because of my chronic health condition. You know, being, there, there have been periods where I felt terrified and paralysed about what the future might hold in terms of diabetes-related complications. Um, you know, I've got a 17-year-old daughter and I spent a lot of time with a psychologist trying to manage the fact that I had such anxious feelings about passing diabetes onto my kid and how I just, I felt guilty that there was even that possibility without it having happened. And I needed help working through that. Um, And there have been other things. There's been fertility stuff that I've needed, infertility stuff that I've needed help with as well, but it's all been tied up with my diabetes. So it's not, just about going, oh, look, there's a psychologist that practices down the street. I'm going to go to them. It's finding someone who knows what it is that I need. And so what I'm hearing you saying as well is that you may have access to psychologists, but they're not the right psychologists. And look, I think that that comes back to 
any health professional. You know, I have the most wonderful health professional team around me to help me with my diabetes. My endocrinologist I adore, and I always say this anytime I talk about her, I named my kid after her. That is how much I love her because without her help, I don't believe that we would have had a child. Um, I adore her. She's probably not the right person for everyone. I can't imagine anybody not loving her, but she's told me that there are people who don't like her. Um, you know, so it's about finding the right person. And that's not to say that the people who are not right for you are bad health professionals. They're absolutely not. They're probably not. They might be. You know, they're always crappy people in every job. Yeah. But it could just be that they're not the right one for you. And that's, I think, part of the issue is that being served up, well, this is the person because they're in your area, is not going to necessarily work because we have specific needs if we're living with specific issues. So um, I guess that, you know, as I said, speaking from my perspective, seeing a psychologist has been extraordinarily helpful, but that was because they could help me with what it was that I needed help with because they understood diabetes and chronic health and, and how people feel or how I felt about it. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely important um, getting that. I mean, um, something more specific, that you're, you're seeing a psychologist. Now, with the NHS, it's not. They're counsellors. Um, which is right. is different because um, CBT would be done by counsellors. But you're, you're quite right in finding finding the right person can be very difficult because yeah. no one is everyone's cup of tea. You know, I I'm studying for a diploma in counselling. I will never be a counsellor. I just won't because I will be a fucking nightmare at it. And I'm well aware of, of this. I do it because I enjoy learning. I enjoy knowledge, and it, it might help my perspective on things and potentially help me get the right resources because yeah. you know, I, I always try and be clear when I, when I um, say to people, it's like anything I say, please don't try and take it advice. Just take it as someone who has some lived experience. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, some people go, Oh my God, finally someone that's saying stuff like how I like it. And, but that's some people, there's plenty of people that hate my fucking guts. And that's fair enough because you can't yeah. like everyone. You can't, you know mesh with everyone and like you say yeah. it's very difficult to find the right person i have never found the right um psychiatrist yeah. or counselor anything for me i yeah talking therapy is of absolutely no good to me personally mm. because i can't stand doing that but then yeah. i've also had this where i am i i am an, an atheist however one of the easiest people i ever spoke to was a vicar um, because he didn't use any psychology. So he literally just went, yeah. just start talking. So like you say, it is, it is interesting. So, you know, what kind of things have you have you come across? You said there that there's been um, this idea of, of a kind of dread of the future and things like this. But mm. what kind of things do you, do you feel? And again, we can use it as anecdotal, assumptive and your own experience. But yeah. what kind of things do you feel has... Or is something that people with diabetes come across? It's actually not it's not something I've ever brought up with my with my own mother, and she's been on this podcast. So, <laughs> you know, what kind of what kind of things do you feel that it might be a, an issue for people? Yeah, well, let's let's just talk about this thing about you know people living with chronic health conditions, and then thinking about that guilt about you know kids and and you know it's really interesting because uh, you mentioned lupus before. My mum lives with lupus and has done so for. 40 odd years um, and I've spoken with her about this because so you know I was t saying to her I, I'm seeing a psychologist because I have this real anxiety that the kid is going to get diabetes and 
I'm terrified. I'm terrified that it's going to happen because I hate diabetes so freaking much. Look at me catching myself there. Um, I hate it. Um, so I, you know, and, and I would hate for her to, to be going through this. And then I've got to live with the fact that it's my dodgy genes that made that happen because my husband, her dad, he doesn't have any diabetes in his family. Now, you know, anyway, and my mum said, well, do you resent me because I have lupus and both are autoimmune conditions and we know that autoimmune conditions run in, you know, they cluster and they can run in families? Oh, don't be ridiculous. Of course I don't. I would never, ever blame you for that. And she said, well, why would you think that, you know, you know if you're worried that that's what's going to happen, is your kid's going to think that? That's not going to happen. And I guess that was probably part of it. But, you know, she said she, you know, does feel to a degree that there is, you know, she has is responsible and, and, you know, for me with my dodgy autoimmune system, because it's not just diabetes, I collect autoimmune conditions. Um, but what really helped for me, I guess, is that there are times where these sorts of feelings become more overwhelming and it's usually because there's a lot of other stuff going on, right? So when your head, when my head is clear, when I can think rationally, when I feel great about everything and one of those thoughts creeps in, I can say Renza and I can not shut it down because I don't think shutting it down is a good idea, but I can have the conversation with myself that goes, if it happens, you have the resources, you have the knowledge, you will deal with it. Um, and and also the practicalities of it, right, which are, you know, I don't like just quoting stats, but I will start to talk statistics to myself. Yes, there is an increased risk. This is what that increased risk is. This is what that means in terms of numbers. Um, also, I say, well, she is now 17, so we have gone this far. So, yes, if she gets it, but she is this age, she's through, you know, being a toddler. She's through all of those things that really worried me and, um so for, for what so what's helped me is and it was a psychologist who gave me those I guess that advice around how to do that you know rein it in bring it back in and uh, don't just let it get so so big that it just becomes something that you just that's all you think about 24/7 you wake up in the middle of the night and you can't get back to sleep because suddenly that's what you're thinking about you start imagining the actual detail of what it's going to be like the minute that you hear about a diagnosis all of that sort of stuff. Um, so what helped really was, I guess, two things, talking to mum, mum's amazing, um, but also having a psychologist give me the tools of, okay, let's break this down. What can you control here? What can't you control? Let's talk about about that. And that helps. You know, I know that it's it's a bit, you know, it's probably really frustrating people because it's like I, I hate hearing all of this stuff because I just feel that I can't control anything. Yeah. Um, but, you know, for me, that's what worked. It's what worked for me. I'm very, though, conscious that I have friends who are in the same boat as me, friends with diabetes, that this is genuinely something that is paralysing for them, paralysing the fear that they have. Well, it's that, it's that thing of, like, what's right for you is right for you. Yeah. Anyway, you know, it, yeah. It, it, yeah. it can be anything. Like, like I said, um, for me, talking to someone, fucking useless. For you, it's yeah. been, been really helpful. So, been great. you know, yep. I, I run. That's what I do. It's, you know... It, yeah. Oh, I don't. Right. <laughs> it's too hot in Australia to run. But, you know, if it's right for you... It's oh, anything about 10 degrees is too much for me. Um, but, you know, so that's, that's, that's the thing. So it's, it's what's right for you. And um, exactly. you I think a lot of people um, have there with their mental health as well, just in general, is this idea that 
Um, if this happened to somebody else, or somebody else was, this, was, was going through this, doing this, well, obviously it's not your fault. What are you on about? You, you're, you're amazing, you know. And then the I, second I, it's you, you go, no, it's all my fault. The, the, the world yeah. hates you. you know. And it's that, it's, you know, you see it on TikTok all the time of people going, the fuck, man? You know, if you said this, what would you do? And you'd be like, oh, my God, I made a mistake. You know, it's that, that immediate thing that your mind goes, oh, no, I yeah. fucked it up. Um, yeah, and it's, it's definitely something I think is very common for people that we, we attack ourselves, even though we wouldn't. Oh, attack. God, yeah. You know. We are our, our worst critics, our own worst critics all the time, all the time. And I'm really, really conscious of that. I really feel like I know how I hear myself in my, like, talking, like, thinking about the way that I talk about my, to myself and about myself. But if one of my mates with diabetes was doing this, I would be like, what are you talking about? You know, be kind to yourself. And um, which also, I've got to say, doesn't help either. Like, I, you know, I think dismissing other people's, you know, oh, the way that they're feeling about it, that's not great. Um, but actually, I do want to add something else when you said, you know, what helps? And yeah, absolutely for me, having had a mental health, um, you know, clinician help has helped. But you know what helps more than anything? The thing that has helped me most is having a network of other people with diabetes who I can talk to. That peer support piece, whatever you want to call it, peer support sounds sometimes people think that it's just sitting in a circle hugging each other. It's not that. Um, that has been the most important thing for my mental health, for my, for my diabetes health, like so for my actual diabetes management, but also for my mental health. I, I, I cannot, I cannot um, say enough how and why that is just the most important thing for me. Yeah, and support groups can be great. I don't know if someone's going to contact you, by the way. I can hear them. Uh... They are, and I can't turn that off. I've got, I've got a new laptop. I have a new laptop, and I don't know how to use it. Let me just oh, shut it down. <laughs> um, gonna... Yeah, support groups can be so great. I mean, that's one of the things, I mean, for, for me, because I, I, I stream on Twitch and also do other things, is yep. that um, I find for myself as well as everyone else, the, the community being being there and talking yeah. to each other is is so great. You know, even when there's people in there that are really struggling, that are like, I'm going to end it. You know, you'll get someone else who a week ago said exactly the same thing is now going, hey, man, you're, you're amazing. No, come on. And yeah. uh, it, is, it is really good because I think this is, and I mean, I don't entirely agree with the sentiment, but I, I, I understand it, is where people go, they don't want to listen to someone unless they understand um, yeah. And, you know, I think people tend to listen more. If you if you see someone or you talk to someone that's um, suffered or you, you can see or you can understand they've suffered, you kind of go, OK, like I'm going to give you a second. And it's why I always say in my community, like this isn't me. I'm, I'm simply the one talking. This is this is you guys, because you guys are the ones that have created this space. Um, yeah. And then we've got the resources for it, because. I don't know, you know, I, I always say, I don't, I'm, the ed, I'm an educated idiot. That's it, you know. I read books and I'm relatively eloquent. That's it. That's, that's where my, my ability to really know what's going on in someone head, someone's head completely finishes. Um, but it's really important, absolutely, to have that support group in place because oh, yeah. I think if, yeah. you, if you don't, it can be very difficult. And like you say, your psychologist was someone that understood chronic illness. And so that's even... Right. Even whether you were aware of the fact that you were doing that in your own head or not, your immediate thought was, oh, okay, she understands this. You know, mm, so, so I'll listen yeah. to her because she yeah. gets this. And it may that's be, fine. like you say, that somebody else actually could 
technically have better advice depending on how you look at it. But if they aren't someone that you relate to, you just ignore them. You know, that's the thing. So that support group is very, very helpful. Absolutely. Yeah. And I feel that that's actually something as well that I really wish was um, available to people or not available, like that's the wrong word, but I wish that people were told about it early on, you know, at a diagnosis of something that there are other people going through this and here's how you might go about finding that. Um, Because I I wouldn't have been ready for that at diagnosis. Like I, I remember when I found out that, you know, a couple of years down the track and, uh, there, I, I knew that there was this group and someone said, maybe you might want to get involved in that. And I was like, well, I don't want, I, I don't in any way connect with other people with diabetes. I don't even identify as a person with diabetes. I'm not interested in sitting there and talking about how crap my life is because I thought that that's what a peer support group was about. Yeah. You know, sitting there and all about, um, you know, woe is me. Um, but then I got ready and oh my God, it was the best thing I did. But, I, you know, I think for a lot of people, I, you know, I, and this is something that's happened in the job that I've had is that we have provided um, those situations where people have, find themselves in a room with hundreds or dozens of other people with diabetes. And they will say, I've lived with diabetes for 25 years. This is the first time I've spoken to another person with it. And I just like, I can't, I can't imagine that. You know, I have this incredible peer network locally but globally as well, that I can tap into people at any time of the day and I know that somebody will be either at the end of the phone on a tweet, two doors down, my neighbour two doors down has diabetes. Um, you know, it, it's, yeah, I, I'm I'm incredibly fortunate with that. Um, but I just really wish people understood the value and, and that power of feeling connected to a community who gets it, yeah. gets it. And that's not to say that you all have the same experiences because, of course, that's not what it's about. But it's about a common understanding of the fact that you have this and not everybody knows what that's like. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, that, that simple, probably between you and your, your mother, in fact, the fact that you both have yeah. illnesses are just kind of going, okay, you know, that's that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, you did mention earlier about stigma. Now, I can, yeah. I can imagine stigma towards type 2 diabetes. Um, I, I can assume what it is. Um, and I've probably had it myself. Um, I probably, I probably, that's not the wording. I probably had the same thoughts in my head of what type 2 diabetes was when I was younger. And as yeah. someone who was um, very overweight as well, personally. Um, but now, obviously, my mother has got type 2 diabetes and things like that. But what kind of stigma you be, do you feel you're being hit with? And has that been has that been affected in kind of media outlet of of how to help yeah look there is a lot of stigma associated with all types of diabetes but i do believe that people with diabetes with type 2 diabetes have an additional burden of stigma as well and i can't speak for people with diabetes with type 2 diabetes but i can talk about research that i know about and and you know speaking to people and and what we hear so diabetes in general is really misunderstood everybody thinks that you got diabetes because you ate too much sugar sat on the couch too much and ate too much mcdonald's right that that is the message that you see and that you hear um and that we brought it on ourselves um and then when you challenge that this is what usually happens right somebody makes that comment and then people like me with type 1 diabetes i don't do this but i used to i guess jump in and go i've got type 1 diabetes it's an autoimmune condition there was nothing i could have done 
So what we're now doing is throwing people with type 2 diabetes under the bus to make sure that people are not throwing us under the bus. Think about type 2 diabetes. It is such a complex, complex health condition. There is a massive genetic component to getting type 2 diabetes. So if you don't have those genes, you can eat nothing but sugar-coated Big Macs and you will not get type 2 diabetes, right? Doesn't matter what size you are, what you eat, how sedentary you are, doesn't matter. There's a genetic component in there as well. We've also got to look at the fact that a family history, there are lots of things that you can't do anything about. Can't do anything about your genes, can't do anything about your family history, can't do anything about your ethnicity. All of these things become risk factors for getting type 2 diabetes, right? But yet, we point our fingers at people and go, get off your ass and go for a walk. Now, it is incredibly, incredibly damaging because what happens? If you're going to feel that you're being stigmatised by the community, by your healthcare team, by your family, you're not going to talk about it. You're not going to do anything about it. You're not going to seek help. You're not going to try and do something that actually is going to help you. And why would you? Why would you put your hand up and go, I need help about this? If people, their response is just going to be, get off your ass, go for a walk, you'll be fine. Mm. And that is literally what happens. Now, in my day job is working for Diabetes Australia and we have run... Um, the last two, two years and this year as well, um, our big National Diabetes Awareness Week, and I know how you feel about those, uh, is about diabetes and mental health. And last year it was about stigma. And the response to the work that we did around that was huge. People with diabetes are saying this is a regular, regular thing, and it leads to discrimination. It leads to um, burnout, burden, like feeling really burdened by it, feeling ashamed, feeling guilt, um, That's a terrible, terrible way to feel about a really crappy and complex health condition. And that impacts on people's mental health. It absolutely impacts on on, on their mental health. Stigma is big and it is something that is, hallelujah, there is more, more research coming out about it and we're talking about it. People with diabetes, we've been talking about this for decades. Now we've got health professionals talking about it. We've got researchers researching it. Um, and we've got a recognition that this is actually part of the struggle of living with diabetes. Yeah, and I mean, you see it so much that that the stigma in general about yeah. uh, this kind of stuff, I, I think, is, is seen a lot in um, gyms and the fitness industry. Um, as someone, because I, I used to um, do uh, as a self-defense martial arts instructor and um, my fitness instruction, and I, I did this um, in gyms, and so much you have especially fucking TikTok um, and YouTube and things like this, you get people who will just spout nonsense, you know, that you get things, five top tips to, for lower cholesterol and to beat diabetes and all that kind of stuff, you know. It's always, yeah. adding, it's always adding lemon into water. Anyone notice? It's always fucking lemon into warm water every time. Can I tell you what happens if you do that? You erode your tooth enamel. Don't do that unless you're going to brush your teeth straight after. It's not going to do anything. It's not going to help make your whatever more alkaline or whatever it's meant to do it will erode your tooth um enamel brush your teeth afterwards i, I had this conversation with my mother because um she was having so much um fruits and stuff because it was healthy and i just went mum you're fucking your teeth up um <laughs> so, but yeah and, and you see it a lot and I'm, I'm actually glad to see there are two or three people specifically actually on on tic, uh, on tiktok i think just because they get to go at them for a few seconds who have actually just gone look if, yeah. if if you're if you're okay with this and you know you know you, you don't want to do this long term or anything about it have a fucking yep. stigma 
have this, you know, you don't want to be a miserable bastard if it's not going to affect you, if you're fine with, with what, you know, how your doctor says stuff, you know, don't listen to this bullshit. And these, these are proper, these are fitness instructors. And one of them actually I, I watch is a, a fitness model, or at least they used to be. And it's really good to see someone like that going, look, this is bullshit. Like, don't listen yeah. to this crap. You know, yeah. th- there's a different way forward. And obviously that stigma can really push you because, you know, as someone who, yeah. I'd say I was, um, Oh God, you work in kilos, don't you? Ah, that's um, all right. I, 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 I'm fluent in both. I can translate. Okay, I, I was about, I was twenty odd stone. Okay. Um, so yeah. you know, I, and I, I had high cholesterol high, and high blood pressure at the time, um, and automatically you had this stigma. You know, you'd have people yeah. who the fuck you are, just calling you, you know, fat bastard, basically on the street. Um, yeah. And you know, I weirdly actually, because uh, you said about a genetic thing, I didn't develop um, diabetes at that point, even though I had high cholesterol, high, high everything else. And my mother has type, type 2, nothing ever happened to me. You know, if anyone was going to get it, that should have been me there, you know, if, yeah. if it was all about weight and all about that. Um, mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I, I hit the stigma as well. Have you felt that that it's been a stumbling block of getting people to listen in yes so like also yes. is, it the, is it the media as well that, that does that as well yes 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 so <laughs> yeah i mean next time there is an there is a news report about type 2 diabetes watch it watch it carefully because they will the images will be inevitably somebody so they, they always show the same thing they show somebody somebody walking behind so you don't see their face so somebody who is either living with overweight or obesity from behind or them hoeing into a Big Mac or something, but they only show, like they don't show their whole face. They'll only show, you know, them biting into it. It's dehumanising because, hey, you can't see their face, can't see all their face and you can only see their behind. It's not a real person. So I'm going to continue with my stigmatising attitudes around what I think about people with diabetes. And, um, you know, it's really... I do a lot of talking, um, a lot of uh, my work is around stigma and also about language and communication and the way that we communicate diabetes and what that means. Um, and sorry, I'm just going to, I can't, I don't know how to shut down all the... <laughs> it's the start of the day for you um, over in Australia, so that's fine, yeah. don't worry. Um, so, um, you know, I, um, I'm just going to shut that down. So I do a lot of, um, I'm asked, to, invited to speak you know, both here in Australia, but also globally about, about stigma and about this sort of stuff and, and communication. And I gave a talk um, about how communication, uh, you know, the lousy way that we communicate about diabetes and living with a person with diabetes, what that's meant. And I was in a session where I spoke and um, either before or after me was a truly remarkable advocate um, who lives with obesity um, called Sarah LeBrock. And she got up and spoke and gave, you know, seriously, I, I can't remember if she was before or after me, but you don't want to be on a panel discussion with Sarah because she's so beautifully eloquent and um, and just so reasonable where I, I'm the bolshie one, you know, but she was just brilliant. But what happened afterwards, there was a Q&A. And, look, both sessions were wonderfully received and it was all very nice, but there was this gorgeous guy in the audience called Marty living with obesity and he put up his hand and he said to me, I really love your presentation and thank you, but 
your situation is always going to be very different to mine as somebody who is living with obesity and type 2 diabetes. He said, you can walk into a GP because you've broken your little finger and the GP is going to say, let's fix your little finger. Mm. He said, if I walk into a GP because I've broken my little finger, they're going to look at me and go, what are we going to do about your weight? Let's talk about that. And you are never, ever allowed to not be a person living with obesity. You are never, ever allowed to have other things that become the sheer focus of of what a health professional will automatically assume, what another person will automatically assume. He said, they will assume I broke my finger because of my weight. And I'm like, wow. And and it was such an important thing for me to hear because, you know, like there are so – I live with so many types of privilege and living with thin privilege is one of the things that I live with is that when I walk into a doctor's surgery for whatever reason it is, they will listen to me. Now, what they will end up doing when they hear that I've got diabetes is that they'll blame my diabetes. But until I open my mouth and say I have diabetes, they won't start to blame it. So the sore little finger, the broken finger because I smashed it in a door or whatever – I wouldn't even tell them that I had diabetes because they would probably say to me, yeah, it's probably diabetes that that happened. But my mate Marty, the first thing they'd say to him is, what are we going to do about your weight? Not let's fix your little finger. And I think that that's part of the issue. If you are constantly living with this burden of judgment, is it any wonder that your mental health is going to start to start to be impacted? Is it any wonder that you're not going to want to go to the doctor or talk about it? Why would you, why would you constantly put yourself in that space? if you know that it's just going to be a negative experience. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that is always talked about first. Like, of, of course, there are certain things that are made worse because of weight. There are. Yeah. But yep. it isn't fucking everything. You know, that that's the thing when it's like, like you say, if you if you're going if you're going in there um, with obesity and there was a heart condition, it would likely be appropriate to talk about the weight but if you're going in there for something that's relatively mundane for everyone else it shouldn't yeah. necessarily just be blamed on your on your weight i mean the obvious one for, for that was there was a few years ago where a power lifter in america um basically just didn't believe the um workout regime for sumo wrestlers in japan yeah. um and sumo wrestlers are just their their training schedule is just something else. Um, yeah. as, as someone who's done stupid training um, schedules when I was much more into my martial arts, um, no, uh, <laughs> because you know they they eat yes they eat a lot, but it's not it's one it's all incredibly it's way healthier than I eat, way yeah. well healthier than anyone else I know eat. You know, and they are training constantly from the second they wake up. It is eat train sleep eat train sleep eat tra- you know and they yeah. had there was a palace from America went over there and basically you know they should, they'll be fine and he was knackered by like halfway through the, the day um knackered means yeah. tired for anyone in any other countries because I know people really don't understand that sometimes um, <laughs> um but like he he was there just going how the hell are these fat but you know that was in his head he was still not quite grasping it because you know it was just but how are they doing it and there was no idea about the fact that fat did not mean not fit you know yeah. that not that wasn't a thing you know and actually weirdly enough it's just coming to my head as i said it there i was in um, um men's health um magazine in the uk running magazine years ago when i lost weight um because i lost six stone in like four months and i remember the article i was actually in was titled fat to fit there's an automatic assumption that, that, you know, 
and, and I mean, my first, because I'm, a, as I say, I'm a runner, but my first half marathon was when I was about 20 stone. So I was still doing it then, you know, I was slower, but I still did it. So yeah, there's, there's an assumption of if you're fat, you're not fit, you know, and, and that's just bollocks. You know, it, it's, it's yeah. Yeah. We reward people for losing weight in a way that, you know, it's very interesting that. And, and I mean, if you're living with diabetes, there are increased the increased rates of disordered eating um, behaviours for people with diabetes, which is understandable when you think that there's such a focus on food and, um, forbid, you know, things being forbidden or restrict, like restricting and, and things like that. Um, but I can still remember when I was diagnosed, I was already, you know, I was, I, I, you know, I don't know what I weigh. I don't weigh myself because I do have some weird disordered body image stuff going on, but I, um, I lost a lot of weight, which is very common for people diagnosed with type one diabetes and type two. But, you know, a lot of people will report their diagnosis story is I lost a lot of weight for no reason. And, um, and I can remember the weekend before I, I was diagnosed. I had a blood test, gone to the doctor and said, these are my symptoms. Could I have diabetes? And the, the GP said, you're being a hypochondriac, but we'll do a blood test and come back after the long weekend because it was Easter and I like chocolate. And um, I remember I was at a family um, Easter celebration thing and I was, um, so it's April for us. It was cold. It was starting to be winter and I was slumped against a heater, a wall heater, because it was the only way I could get warm. I was freezing cold and I'd lost, a, I speak in your language, a stone, about six kilos. And um, one of my cousin's wives was in, she goes, Renza, you look amazing. Have you lost weight? Now, I was at this point in time, could barely stand up. I couldn't see across the room because my eyes um, were, my, my vision was being affected because of all the glucose in my system. Yeah. Um, and I felt terrible. I was just falling asleep at the drop of a hat. I was feeling awful. But what, do I, what have I got in my head? Oh, my God, I lose weight. I look amazing. And that is the thing that we hear, you know. And, and I was I was sick. I was really unwell at that point in time. Um, so I think that, you know, the whole way that we talk about weight and that we reward, you know, we see weight loss as being something that should be rewarded. And um, when actually sometimes, you know, there are some pretty sinister reasons behind that. and We don't assume that. Um, but then the flip side of that is that we do therefore have an assumption that people who are of a heavier weight obviously are unfit and unhealthy and and that's not necessarily an assumption that we should be that we should be making no especially not when we use the bmi which was never meant to be used uh-huh. on you um not individually no it's just you know the guy that fucking created it said do not use this on an individual do not use it on homes this is a statistical analysis and yet doctors are taught population it. yeah exactly it's, it's i mean it's it's mind-blowing i mean i have people that I interact with i'm i'm i am pretty bad with um with not being i am pretty bad with with people that have um uh eating disorders i am not the best with that because my mind just wants to scream and i think it's because i've had that issue myself of like of losing the weight and things like that and i I see people just not eating and it just it it just does something to my head that i it's very hard for me to get over but it's because i've had that that issue myself and the thing i always tell people when you're looking at weight and things like that, because that's all that anyone looks at. They look at weight. You know, yeah. I'll only have one meal today. I'll only have 
this today. And it's just like, oh, yeah, but I've lost weight. Now you've lost water weight for a start. But also my old personal trainer um, is a guy called Rob Cannon, who is the former British bodybuilding champion. He, on the scales, is morbidly obese. The man has 3% body fat. Like, yeah. <laughs> they, they, yeah. don't, they don't line up at all. There's just, they, they just have no, they have no overlap whatsoever of, of what reality is. And it is, is really bad that you have that kind of interaction with people that just, you know, we don't yeah. really take any account to any of it. It's, it's just no. damaging. And we don't consider just how all of these sorts of aspects, when you're living with a, a chronic health condition, like diabetes, which, as I said, is a playground that I play in, and when food is part of it, we don't understand, or not everybody understands, just how triggering and challenging it can be to be told to step on the scales, which is often part of routine um, diabetes appointments, any medical appointments. Now, I refuse to step on the scales. I don't have scales here that I step on. I will not step on the scales for a medical appointment unless it is essential so if i walk into a doctor's surgery and they go step on the scales and i'm like why now if you're about to if you need to know that because you've got to you know work out what dosage of medication i need or whatever give me the reason why but if you're just going to do it because it's a tick the box exercise without consider without firstly asking me and asking for my consent if i'm comfortable doing it um but just because it's part of a tick the box exercise that oh we always do this at appointments that is that is really negligent healthcare because there is too much tied up with numbers and especially with weight for a lot of people to just make it a thing that you do without giving it any further thought so when i see my i see my endocrinologist four times a year and she will say to me at every appointment would you like to step on the scales and 90% of the time i'd say no the other 10% the other 5% of the time i'll say yep and I'm happy to step on the scales and I look at what it is. And another 5% of the time I might say, yes, but you'll need to come over here. You'll need to see the number. I don't want to know what it is and I don't want you to tell me because it sets me off in all sorts of ways. And so that is an approach that I really like. It's I'm asking you permission first and then I'm, then we will do it the way that works for you. doesn't take any longer, does not take any longer. Um, but, you know, I remember when I was pregnant and I was going, I was, I was seeing a very good multidisciplinary team, but the way that it worked, you'd walk into the clinic at a big hospital waiting room and you would check in and then the um, gorgeous reception staff who were always so lovely and they were just doing their job, but their job was to say, can you go step on the scales and tell me what, what your weight is? Now, for pregnancy, there might be a reason, so I get it. I was happy to step on the scales, um, but then I'd have to yell it across the waiting room. And that's yeah, not that, okay. That's dehumanising. It's, it's yeah, they stopped doing that. Yeah. Stop doing that. I mean, there's, yeah. there's there's something actually I I, I, I saw just before I came on here. It was on, it was on YouTube or TikTok or something. Um, that, that pointed out something very interesting that I hadn't even thought about about how we we um, think of weight and strength and everything yeah. like that. Is there's a scene in Black Widow, in the Marvel film Black Widow, where Red Guardian has you know put weight on and stuff and he's putting his suit back on and we're meant to effectively be mocking him in that scene we're meant to he's you know like that but if we look at the strongest people on the planet eddie hearn um the mountain you know um stoltman who's the current world's strongest man they are not skinny men they are not chris um hemsworth they are not chris evans the reality is if you're looking at someone that that is a superhuman, at least in terms of strength, 
they're much more likely to look like Red Guardian. That is what they would look like. But we've we've conditioned through things like the Marvel um, films to think that, you know, something that is extraordinary and, and something like that is that, you know, assumptive Chris Hemsworth, you know, rip his top off thing and not the reality, which we can see if we turned on World's Strongest Man, the reality that actually the guy that plays Red Guardian looks far more like someone who in, in real life would be that superhuman. I mean, and we also did it when we look back at things like Infinity in Endgame, Infinity War, one of the two, um, where Thor gets fat. Because at that point, Thor had gone from all the other films as being basically unstoppable. You know, at one point after he got beat by Thanos, he came down and just went for everyone. And, you know, that was the big moment. Yet in the film where he got bigger, Chris Evans picked up uh, Mjolnir. Chris Evans was the one that dealt with it. And Thor was being beaten down. And so there's a, there's a lot of connotations that are coming even in, in with those films that, that suggest it as well, which is very damaging. Um, but it was just something I, I noticed before. It's like you're speaking a different language. I literally don't know any of the words. because we claim okay. one of them. So, but, uh, yeah, to put it in perspective. But so, I understand, no, I understand yeah, what yeah. you're saying. And it's the same thing that, you know, weight stigma, weight, you know, you, we, laugh at, we laugh at people who are overweight because that's the thing that has always happened in sitcoms and that's the way it is. And, you know, when diabetes is a condition that is associated with weight, rightly or wrongly, and often very wrongly, that correlation is, you know, a link that everybody thinks we can point to that. Um, you know, there, there, is, there are impacts that go beyond we're just saying this. There, there are impacts because there are always people behind things, and yeah. the, the the stigma that that um, you know that that becomes that becomes part of that does impact on people's mental health. It absolutely does. There's, there's, it absolutely does. And I guess the story that we need to say around that is to talk about what the flow-on effect is because the flow-on effect, as I've already said, but the flow-on effect is that people feel shame and they will not seek help. They will not talk about it. They will not do what it is that they need to do. They may feel uncomfortable going for a walk because they're afraid that somebody might yell at them as they're, they're just minding their own business and walking down the street and all of those sorts of things. And um, you know, we, stigma is a really important issue that needs to be addressed. I know that we look at it in terms of mental health. Um, with diabetes, we're, we're starting to look at it more, um, and it is something that we absolutely need to consider when, we, when we're trying to understand what all of the bits of living with a health condition are about. It is not, in diabetes, it's not just about the numbers of what your glucose level is. There is so, so much more. And all of those more things impact on your glucose level. So yeah. it's, um, you know, it's, it's a pretty massive, massive issue. So when people think diabetes is just about eating less or not eating sugar, they've got They've just, they've just told me they don't know what diabetes is about. Yeah, I mean, the level of education is, is pretty low as well. I mean, I'm trying to remember whether it's whether when the sugar is high or low. But um, I remember my, my, my friend who type 1 diabetic, yeah. um, he talks about the fact that one of them, I'm assuming when the, when the sugars are high, I don't know. But the, the response that his body will do is you effectively, to the outside world, look as if you're drunk. And the, right. Oh, that's what, when you're hypo, when you've got low blood sugar, it's yeah. often... And the sugar. smell yeah. on your breath smells like sweet That's when you're high. And that's that's when you're high. So, <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Both ends, you look like there's something else wrong with you, and then there's the stigma yeah. because people don't... You know, and I mean, you know, 
I, I have no fucking ideas. I've just pointed out there. And I have a friend from me who's type one and my mum who's type two. And that's, that's yeah. the problem is that, you know, even someone who will know someone with either type doesn't necessarily know. Um, he, he was, he was awful with it. I mean, he, he, he once had, and Adam, if you're watching this, fuck's sake, he once had chocolate cake for my mate's birthday and he had it before having it, got his insulin and just went, yeah, that's about enough. Bang. And then ate the cake, which is just awful. Um, <laughs> okay. I, Cause I don't believe in judging people here. Number one, people with diabetes are entitled to eat chocolate cake. For oh, breakfast, yeah, absolutely. You know, and he was giving himself insulin. So you've got to pat him on the back for that. Should he maybe have checked his glucose levels beforehand and done some fancy calculations? <laughs> yes. But do you want to have to do that every time you eat? It's, it's a tough thing. But I do want to just yeah. add about this because I think we have unrealistic expectations sometimes yeah. where we're like, I don't expect you to know every single thing about diabetes because you don't live with it. Yeah. And so here's the deal. You don't have to know everything about it. You just have to stop being judgmental about it. That's my message to people out there is, you know, I don't expect you to know everything about diabetes, but I'd really like it if you stopped saying, oh, that looks like diabetes on a plate because that's stigmatizing and shitty. Don't say that. I'd really like it if you would stop saying, shouldn't you have looked after yourself a bit more if somebody has diabetes complications? Because, hey, you don't know what I've done. And I'm probably feeling a lot of, you know, wondering that myself. How about instead instead you say, hey, can I support you in any way? Or is there anything you want to tell me about this? Or shut up about it completely. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, I mean, I, I know nothing about health conditions that I'm not impacted by. I couldn't tell you anything about Parkinson's disease. know nothing about it. But I know enough that if I speak to somebody with Parkinson's disease, I don't try and make it sound insignificant or that they're to blame for it or that it's the end of the world. You know, don't tell them about stories of someone else I may have heard with Parkinson's who died a painful, horrible death. That's the thing. People love telling people with diabetes all the worst case scenarios they've heard about it. My, you know, my nan had diabetes. She was very, very sick. She lost both legs, had her head amputated. It was terrible. Those sorts of stories do not help me in any way whatsoever. Shut up. Don't just yeah. do not say those stories. Um, but you don't have to know everything about it. Just be no. sensible. It was, yeah. just, it was just the fact that it was, it's the, it was the mixed up knowledge. But I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, that's okay. It's, um, it's why I had, this is where I, I will definitely lose someone. I do not believe, and I fucking hate the term empath. Right. Because it, it makes someone assume that they can know everything about you. Yes. And yeah. it's like, no, fuck off. You, you don't know. You, what you're talking about is you have experience of a specific subject and added to sympathy. And if yeah. that is what you mean by empathy, don't say empathy. Say you're sympathetic with some experience. It's not yeah. bad to say you're sympathetic. That's fine. Because if you say yeah. empathic, it's like you're telling me you've just read my fucking tarot. Piss off. And you know, you know yeah. it, that's, that's the thing. I, I, I personally, I, I, I would imagine similarly, I always find the best thing to do is just go, how, like you're saying there about support is ask someone how or if there's yes. something you can do like not just go oh I'll, I don't know what to do I'll get you a cup of tea or um, do you want me to ring someone just like, or, or, or just talk at them but what can I do what what do yes. you need me to do or not need yep. me to do if you need me to piss off cool I will do that yep. if you need me to give you a hug I can do that but like I'm going to let you figure it out but you know, because everyone wants to do this thing of just, oh, I want to help now. I want to do this. Like, but you have no idea what they want, and that, that's. You know. Do you want to hear my cup of tea theory? I have a theory around this. This is my husband. So 
and I hate to be gendered, but I'm totally going to be gendered here, right? Men like to fix things, okay? It's a weird thing. Some women like to fix things too. So let's let's just say people like to fix things, right? <laughs> My husband learnt very so when I was diagnosed with diabetes, we were engaged. We got married six months later. Mm. He stuck around. All the power to him. Don't know that I would have, knowing now what I know about diabetes. But anyway, um, here's what he learned early on. But early on, he wanted to fix things. So I'd be having a crappy diabetes day. It's like, oh, okay, have you done this? Have you done this? Have you, you know? And yes, darling, I've done most of those things. Or I don't want to do most of those things. He learned really early on to not say, have you done this? Or do you need to ring your doctor? No. What he learned to do was, here's a cup of tea, Renz. Would you like a biscuit with it? <laughs> and that is it. And and then following it up with, diabetes sucks. <laughs> you will have no idea what a gift that is. That is such a gift. It is such a gift to have somebody bring you a cup of tea, not make you want to talk about something, not make you feel shit because you haven't thought of all the things that you probably should have. And you probably have thought about them anyway. It's just, here's a cup of tea. It is the and a bit bit of chocolate. Don't anyone judge me for eating chocolate. I, you know, stop it. Um, it is the biggest gift, and it's funny because I had this conversation with some mates, and this is why I say it's gendered. I was at a diabetes conference and sitting around after the conference day and it's dinner time, and and we were having this, and I and they said to me, "That's the most stupid thing ever." And they both had diabetes, guys, and they said that's ridiculous. And I'm like, no, it's awesome and so one of them said so you're saying you don't want help and I said what and I said so if we drove past you and you were on the side of the street and you needed a your tire needed changing you would like us to drive past you and then come back with a cup of tea I'm like you're a stupid idiot because that's not what I'm saying number one number two I can change a tire myself but I would love you to offer to help me this is different that is something you literally can fix is to change a tire you cannot fix me having diabetes no one can fix that bring me a cup of tea these beautiful beautiful men who live overseas so i haven't seen them for two years two and a half years because i you know covid um now when they know i'm having a shitty diabetes day you know what they do they send me a cup of tea picture of a cup of tea and it makes me feel so lovely because i know they're thinking of me they're not trying to fix it they're just like we acknowledge that you need this it sounds like a very northern english response to things (laughs) Of like, oh, no matter what has happened, anything could have happened. Nuclear war has just started. Let's have a cup of tea and a slice of cake. You know, hey, that, look, that's... It could be something different. It might be have a chocolate bar. It might be yeah. here's a back rub. Whatever it is, but it's not a I'm trying to fix it. It's just a I acknowledge this. This is shitty. Here's something that might make you feel a bit better. Yeah. Maybe. Should we watch a film that I know you like? Yeah, that kind of thing. But it, 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 it is funny to me purely because I know that that is, that is just such a British thing to be like, the world is ending. Well, a cup of tea will fix it. You know, that's, that's, in fact, I, I mean, I'm guessing you may not know this because you didn't know Marvel, but in Doctor Who, when they, when they had David Tennant, who's probably one of the most popular ones, they literally explained the reason that he was able to be regenerated and be fully ready. <laughs> as the fact that it was the tannins from a cup of tea that got him going. You know, this fucking yes. alien that has was brought back to life yes. effectively by a cup of tea. Um, so the restorative nature of a cup of tea is like in the Italian, my family is Italian and it's like in our, cult, our, our culture, which is a bowl of homemade chicken soup. Chicken soup with, with pastina, little pasta, that will fix anything. And that's what my mum does when she knows I'm having a crappy diabetes day. She brings me chicken soup. 
It is the best thing. I've got someone making me a cup of tea, someone bringing me chicken soup with little pasta in it. My life, it, diabetes sucks. It's awful. But, oh, my God, it makes me feel better. Look at this. <laughs> this is love. This is how you – and I feel and, – and, you know, we're talking mental health, but it makes me feel better. You know, emotionally, it makes me feel better. And that's, that's a pretty big gift. It really is. That's important as well in terms of, yeah. uh, of mental health. That sometimes it can just be something incredibly simple to help. Right. You know, right. It, like I say, it's, that's why I say about um, asking someone what what support they might need because sometimes it's just yeah. leaving them the fuck alone. And I will say, I, I get with the fix thing. I've I've yeah. I, I think it's because it's a societal norm to that we're meant to. Of course to. it is. Um, and you don't want but, people that you love to suffer. You don't want to yeah. see somebody having a tough time. You want you want to alleviate that pain. Yeah, and so, you know, there is that kind of idea of it, and then a lot of people kind of go, well, I, I should be able to do something. Why can't I do something? And so, yeah, yeah learning, learning that you can't and learning that there's not, there's not a conversation necessarily there because you can't understand what they're going through yeah. of just, you know, that there's something, there's something else here. Um, you know, I did throw my, my mate under the bus for that. It's just the way he did it was so kind of, eh, okay, fine. You know, We've this all done it. This is the person who yeah. was so high so often that his reading just went, I don't know. <laughs> just, but he gave himself insulin, and that is an amazing thing. And you know what? Is. You were talking about stigma before and where it comes from and, mm. and all of that sort of stuff. Some of it comes from health professionals. Again, not all of them. I have told you how much I love my health professional. But um, one of the things, because I talk to health professionals about this a lot, and one of the things I say to them is, the fact that a person is sitting opposite you, that they have shown up and are sitting there is a truly remarkable act of courage. Mm. And you may be looking at their diabetes numbers and going, these are not in range. These are not numbers that I would consider good. And let's not use that term, but these numbers are not where I would like to see them. And you absolutely are probably wanting to tear strips off them, which is not going to help anyone, quite frankly. But, hey, the fact that they have come to you knowing that that is what their numbers are, fearing that you might tell them off, that is a huge act of courage. And you need to acknowledge that and then be very sensitive and delicate about the way you then say, hey, let's talk about this and what we can do. Because I promise you, if we can tighten up your numbers and they come in range, you're going to feel better and I want you to feel better. And that is a conversation rather than what usually happens, which is, why are your numbers so high? What have you been eating? What, you know, so, you know, I know that it sounds, it does, you know, somebody who doesn't like talking, you're probably, you know, with health, you probably don't love this idea and you probably think it's a bit wanky. But, you know, we hear this from people and it's not going to work for everybody. But if you walk in and you walk out feeling like you've just been told off, you're probably not going to come back. But if you walk in feeling you've got someone on your side who is acknowledging what a tough time things are, you know, how you're having a tough time at the moment, and they want to genu genuinely help you, you probably will go back. Well, yeah, I mean, it depends as well as, like anything, of, of how they say it. Like I say, um, in terms of, like, um, I can only take it back to, to, to fitness stuff because I, I can see a yeah. lot of parallels. You know, yeah. the difference between, um, you know, someone having someone at the gym just kind of going, what the fuck, you've you put weight on, what are you doing? You know, you, whereas there's someone else that's going, hey, man, hey, it's good to see you. Nice, Hey, man, you turned up second day, yeah. man. You're really, you're really up for this today. Nice yeah. one. I'll see you later. You know, there's a big difference. Yeah. It's, and it's not, yeah. it's, it's not necessarily, because I think some people assume there's going to be a very kind of soft, oh, are you feeling okay? And that's not what we're necessarily saying. It's this kind oh. of, no, you've got just a very small change in how you're talking to someone. Yeah. Um, you know, because uh, you know, even if someone's, let's say someone's, 
you know, numbers are, are fucked or whatever because of diabetes. Simply just going, is everything okay? You know, yeah. because it could be so many other things. And then, then you've got a conversation and then you can find yeah. out necessarily what's wrong without going, yep. what did you do? Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that that is that is so, so true. You know, what did you do? Because you've done something wrong. And that's a crappy way to what did I do? My pancreas packed up on me. I've I've got a chronic health condition. No one wants that. But that's what I've got. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, doctors, I find a lot of doctors have some of the worst bedside manner of of everyone. Nurses have good have good bedside manner. Doctors tend to be pretty shit. I am I am mildly germaphobic yeah. because of OCD, and I remember having um, being made, being forced effectively to stay in hospital. Yeah. Yep. Say so the doctor not even paying any attention to the fact that I was freaking the fuck out. Going, well, they shouldn't have kept you in. Just go home. And I was like, I, I'm I'm seconds away from punching you. What the fuck? You know, just <laughs> surely yeah. in my notes somewhere there is the fact yeah. that this person is here basically under duress. You know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's ridiculous, and you'd, you'd expect them to be far better at it. It's a st- yeah. strange question, but we've mentioned chocolate a couple of times. Yeah. Do you think an added issue is the fact that diabetic chocolate is a freaking laxative? Because that does not make you feel better. So it's almost like whoever created that nightmare has gone, you're diabetic, let's make you feel worse about the fact that you're diabetic if you want to have chocolate. I don't eat that crap. No one does. No one diabetic that I know does. But no, I just they, know well, they often do it first because, they, you know, you get excited when you see, hey, look, that chocolate's got my name on it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't eat that. I eat regular chocolate and I then give myself insulin to cover it. Yeah. I have type 1 diabetes and I use insulin, so I can do that. A lot of people with type 2 diabetes don't use insulin. So if they eat something that has a high sugar content or any sugar content, their glucose levels will go up and they don't have a tool to bring it down straight away like I do. Yeah. Um, and, and you know what? We get told eat dark chocolate because it's got antioxidants. I love dark chocolate, so I'm fine. The darker, the better. I like the one that's got barely any sugar in it. It's almost, it is bitter. But that's what I like, and, and I've always liked that, even before I was diagnosed with diabetes. But a lot of people want to eat a if I say eat a crunchy bar, is that going to make sense to you? Do you have crunchies? It's English, yeah. Okay. Which English? I have to, can I tell you that the place that I am least understood is when I'm traveling in America? Of course it is. Americans don't understand. <laughs> first of all, I don't understand the accent, but I say things that are Australianisms, and they they don't understand. I've said some pretty some very innocent things that have really been taken the wrong way because. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've found this actually. There is a lot of yeah. I saw it on a, an, an accent thing on YouTube once, yeah. and yeah. apart from like one thing, everything else, British yeah. and Australians said exactly the same, and American. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Chocolate bars, though, uh, you know, are, are still. They don't have chocolate. They're, they're shit. They don't have chocolate over there. They've destroyed Cadbury. I don't mind a little Hershey's. The Hershey's kisses are quite nice. I don't mind those. I don't know. But yeah. That, that, uh, <laughs> on top of a, I'm going to say cookie because I, it's a, it's an American, but it's biscuit. And you, in my spare time and to um, de-stress myself, I cook and bake, Same. and um, a lot of biscuits and a little biscuit with a Hershey's chocolate kiss on the top. It's a very, very nice thing to have with a cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> I got to the D. 
de-stress and have tea to de-stress from the kitchen. Yeah, I mean, it's... I should drink more coffee than tea, I should just say. I'm, a, I'm an absolute shocker <laughs> when it comes to coffee, but it is always a cup of tea when I'm when I need a bit of rejuvenation or something. It, yeah. Exactly, it, it's, it's the best thing for it. But it is, it is interesting though that that it's almost something. I'm sure it wasn't designed for it, but it does feel like we, they've kind of gone. Hey, have this. Oh, you want chocolate? Well, we're going to punish you for wanting chocolate. How dare yeah. you? You know. It's it's the artificial sweeteners that are used. So it's like, you know, if you buy a packet of gum that's got artificial sweetener in it, it will have a thing on the back that says excessive use may have a lax- laxative effect. And so it's, it's the artificial sweetener in it. So yeah. some people, though, can tolerate it and they don't have that as a side effect or they'll only eat a little bit of it. But um, I don't like the way it tastes. It's not for me. If I'm going to eat chocolate, I'm going to eat the real deal. Yeah, I'd be a nightmare because I love white chocolate, which is just sugar. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just sugar, nothing else really. Like but, solidified um, condensed milk. Sorry, what was that? I, I think of it as solidified condensed milk. I mean, technically, it's not chocolate, is it? It's cocoa solids. It's a. It's technically, I think, technically classified as a cocoa butter. butter. It's cocoa yeah. butter. Yeah. <laughs> Butter's a great thing, but white chocolate. Oh. Hey, if milk, white chocolate, I'll happily put it on toast. Um, <laughs> this All is the power to you. Stone. There's, there's a reason I All the power to you. I am not going to. Does this say, do, do you have, I'm not going to yuck your yum. There you go. You eat whatever you want. I, 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 I get it. We have similar. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, is there anything that you are right now, or at least yep. feel coming up, that you're like, this needs to get solved. I feel like I'm hitting my head against a brick wall with these people. Just can do something. Yeah. Is there anything at the moment that you're like, it's just one way you just want to strangle a politician? You know, is there anything that's coming up at the moment that's that's like that? I know that's probably a constant thing, um, but yeah. you know, is that something that? Because um, I know I know there's things in my head because um, I've started a mental health charity. When it, when that gets further down the line, yeah. there's plenty of things I I want to march into parliament mm-hmm. and shout at them. But is there anything that you're thinking like? Why are you not listening to me right now? Look, I would really, really like there to be, uh, I, I really would like there to be better mental health support for people living with chronic health conditions, with diabetes. I would like there to be better men- mental health support across the board. But as I said, diabetes playground for me. Yeah. I would like there to be funding and availability of mental health professionals routinely for people living with diabetes. So if we're looking at a policy level, somehow for that to become something that is funded um, so that, you know, every single tertiary clinic will have, um, you know, and not just like a, you know, point two time, they're there one day a month and if you're lucky to get an appointment, like have it as part of routine care. If you want to see a psychologist, you can see a psychologist. If you want to see them at this visit but not at next visit, that's fine. It's very much led by the person living with diabetes. So that at that level is what I would like. And then I guess the other big thing is I would really like people to stop making stigmatising comments about diabetes. I would just like people to step back and remember that there are people living with this condition every day. There are parents of kids living with this condition every day. When you start to make comments that make us feel crappy and make us feel like you're judging us, that is, we don't need that on top of all of the things we have to do just to live and exist with this with this condition. We don't need the other stuff. So they're probably the two main things, I guess, that I would really love to see. I would also like there to be lots, you know, better screening so that people were aware of why they need to be screened for diabetes complications earlier because early treatment, early diagnosis, 
you know, all of that, or early diagnosis means early treatment means best outcomes, all of that sort of stuff. Um, Diabetes is such a massive and complex problem. It is such a massive and complex problem. Um, And I think that every little bit that we're chipping away at making it better is an improvement, but we can never stop and go, hey, that's awesome, because there's always so much more to do. And I will just also acknowledge the privilege that you have living in a country with the NHS and that I have living in a country with Medicare and with um, the NDSS, knowing every single time that I need insulin for you. If, it, if people with diabetes, I believe, in the UK, it, they, there is no out-of-cost, I won't, won't say free because it's taxpayer-funded, but there is no out-of-pocket cost at the counter. And for me, I know how much it will be. And for me, it's 42 bucks every prescription. And if you're on a healthcare card, it's $6.80. Every single time I know what that, that it's what's, that's what it's going to be. So if we're looking globally and talking globally, I would like people around the world to have that sort of affordable access to drugs that are life-saving, life-saving. I cannot stop my insulin for a day because I can't afford it until I get until my pay drops into my bank account. I can't do that. And there are people around the world who are really struggling to afford insulin. So and that that's enough. A stigma, you know, the fact that that's there. I, I will say free, by the way, because I you don't talk about the fact that your bins are picked up as being a cost. You never, yeah. no one ever talks about any other service yeah. as not being free, but people are always yeah. um, quick to on the NHS. Um, and our, our, our taxation for it is lower cost than any insurance from any of the other, any yeah. other development. Oh, yeah. um, so no, I, I always see these things in America that yeah, the only reason I say it is because I feel like sometimes when, when people think of things as free, they think that there is no value associated towards. Like they don't understand, you know, how it is still something of incredible value. And, oh, yeah. Um, you know, I think that, rather yeah. than without price. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's that thing because it's like I remember um, in, in discussions with people because, like, for instance, um, I, I think it may be £10 now, but you can have a prescription for Anything in the UK cannot, by law, be more than £9.50. As I say, I think it's £10. But you can't be. But if it's something like insulin, which is to keep someone alive, it's fucking free because why the hell will we charge someone to stay alive? It's always a discussion I have with people when I find it almost amusing to me that Americans think of Canada as being um, universal healthcare because Canadians pay for that as well. And the idea that you have... It's such... it's so weird to me because the idea that you have to pay for something to keep you alive, as I said, it is in itself a stigma. It's basically going, well, it's your fault. That is, that's what it assumes. If, you're, if you are, because you're, felt, you're made to feel bad because you have to pay for it, because it's like, well, you should, have to, you should work harder than to have more money so you can get bollocks. Yeah. You know, if, if it's not your fault. There's nothing in there that's made you yeah. want to have. Nobody goes and goes, you know what, what I fancy today? Having to live with diabetes for the rest of my life. No one asks to get diabetes, ever. Never, 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 never. You know? The idea. But I will say that it's interesting because you you do become conditioned to things. So we have always had this copay at the point of sale. Mm. That's how it's always been. But it is an affordable copay. And for people who are on low income, who have a healthcare card because they're low income, there is an additional subsidy. So paying $6.80 every three months or however frequently you need to pick up your insulin prescription 
that is something that I guess is accepted because it's always been like that. Um, so when I say, you know, I don't have a problem paying what I need to pay, probably partly because I've been conditioned, but also because I know that the government is paying a lot more of it. So there, it is a co-pays and I'm paying for some of it. Um, but to know that when I, you know, that I'm going to need to literally worry about buying a prescription medicine that keeps me alive, you know, that that's a constant, constant fear. Yeah. That the, the mental health burden that that adds to living with diabetes or whatever it is that you're living with in the US, I just... Yeah, I mean, it's in the hundreds or if, or, or if not thousands for insulin, where people literally that, have to then decide whether they're going to eat or heat themselves or get insulin, which, of course, then affects their diabetes because they're not eating and they're yeah. heating themselves. It's, yes, it's all of these things. Mind-blowing. But, it's, uh, it of is. course, it has that knock-on effect because you're, you're left with guilt. You know, I, I should... And then, and then, of course, you know, if you don't have healthcare in America, you then get um, fined because you don't have it because you can't afford it in the first place. It's sort yeah. your country out, America. Um, just, just everything, just everything. There's nothing that I... I, I literally nothing in America that, I, that makes me want to ever live there i don't understand it anyway um <laughs> i just want to say because i do absolutely truly adore america i love it i am i'll be the hater that's fine you can go two or three months with my family in new york at the end of the year and we visit there when it's not covid regularly and there is so much about it that i truly love but my heart bleeds for trying to well actually my brain hurts trying to understand the healthcare system and my heart bleeds for people who are trying to navigate it. And I've had a couple of instances where I have had to use the health system there and including needing an emergency surgery. I had a miscarriage once when I was in New York. Um, And I will just say this to everybody, get health insurance because a six hour surgery was 27,000 US dollars that I ended up not having to literally pay a cent of because I had health insurance. And I had notified them that I was pregnant at the time before I before I travelled, yeah. and um, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, a six hour. When I say six hour surgery, that's a lie. It was a twenty minute surgery. I was in the hospital six hours by the time you know when I from when I walked in the door to when I walked out the door, twenty minute surgery. Um, yeah. And it's, and, and, it's, and it's not even close to the best health um, in the world. They always go on about having the best doctors. It's bollocks. Even the people on the left, left, um, say that there's, they, they have the best. No, you don't. You, you're not even close. The best researchers are in the Netherlands and Scotland. The best surgeons are Italian. Like, you're just, just not even close. Um, so I would, if I had the choice, I would rather, with my dying breath, get in a plane to get back to England than ever touch the American healthcare system in any way, shape or form. I would rather go to Mexico and let one of them do it in a back alley. Nothing about the American healthcare system is um, a, a, just a, the whole thing is abhorrent to me. I don't understand well, I'm it. I'm certainly not going to say that and go that far because I know some truly remarkable, remarkable healthcare oh, professionals. They'll be America. fantastic healthcare professionals, but then there are in every single their country. System, their system, uh, their health system terrifies me. It, it, it makes me very scared oh yeah i mean there'll be fantastic ones but in a country of 330 million people if if you have a hundred of them that are great doctors but then you go to a country like england that has 63 million and 2000 of them are great that that's my issue is there is a law of everything just saying everything is great and do something about it so it's at least halfway good you know that's that's the thing i know i i am i am i am 
I have a lot of American friends and they are used to this. I have a lot of American friends. I have family over in America, um, but I don't bite my tongue as much because I don't care. I, I've, I've lost that, that ability to give a fuck. Um, so I, I, am, I don't bite my tongue um, anymore. So, but yeah, it's, it's just, it is worrying because again, as, as, as we say, healthcare systems are at the root a lot of the time with the, the stigma. Then yeah. you don't know what's happening. You don't know whether you're going to be seeing the right person. As you say, things have improved in, in, the, in, in Australia, but then at the same time, not everywhere. So it just little That's things right. that go in. You know, over here, again, even if you don't have that, I don't even, I'm, I'm going to have to ring my mother in the, in the morning and just find out whether she's ever been offered a, a psychologist. I've never heard of it. Um, yeah. It's just, it is... I mean, I will say there are some truly remarkable psychologists doing some incredible, incredible stuff in the UK and um, and looking at, at, you know, and with a very strong understanding of, of all of the things that we've been talking about today. So, you know, I think, and, and, and certainly also I should say in the US as well, you know, this is, it, we are at a point where um, it comes down to resourcing and resourcing comes down to, to money and to budgets and, um, you know, it's, uh, it always it always comes down to that, and I suspect it probably comes down to it even more in systems that are are fully taxpayer funded because the the pile keeps getting smaller. It really does. Like the pile keeps getting smaller and smaller of money, and yet the people needing services keeps getting bigger and bigger. So there there have to be ways to assess what is going to get the biggest bang for your buck, and. I genuinely think that people with diabetes should have access to absolutely everything and they should have the choice and they should have all of that. But sometimes, somewhere, someone's got to make some hard decisions. And I am very, very grateful that that is not me. I'm very grateful that it's not me who has to do that. I get to jump up and down and say, why is everything not available to people? But I also have a very strong understanding of the way that um, the, the pit of money is not it doesn't just keep multiplying. And so sadly, at some point in time, we've got to go, actually, we're going to prioritise this group because this is where the research shows that there's going to be the best outcomes. I think it's not ideal. It's crap. It's really crap. I hate, every, I hate it, hate it, hate it. Get rid of all but... the managers. Get rid of all the middle managers because they're the ones that fuck it up. They are literally... So my, I, I, should, um, I should specify, my, my late wife was a nurse. My ex before that was a healthcare uh, professional. My ex before that was a nurse. I have friends who are doctors and nurses and mental health professionals. Um, I, my my mother-in-law works within, uh, within the NHS as well. And um, so I have, I have a connection to it. And uh, if you actually look, for instance, at the individual hospitals and their monetary breakdown, the NHS is not in any kind of, de- any kind of deficit whatsoever. They're very, very much um, flush with cash. But when it's put together, and when it's overseen by middle management, it becomes a problem. So get rid of all the idiots that keep trying to put things everywhere else and listen to the professionals would be my answer for that. So I think the, 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 the harshest thing, for instance, the NHS, the harshest decision would be um, not anything to do with healthcare. It'd be we need to fire the people that are fucking it up. Um, <laughs> but, but there we I'll go. Leave you. I've learnt not to comment on other places. <laughs> <laughs> Well, actually, half the time, half the time, I don't even think I should be commenting on Australia's uh, healthcare system. But I have learnt that. But then, at least if you comment, people might come in. At least if they try and correct you, 
maybe that's something that then you'll be able to spread and that will help more people. So I'm always up for doing that because if somebody wants to correct me and if I'm wrong, I am happy to be wrong if me being wrong means other people are being helped. So that's, that's the main thing for that. Um, I think we've, we've kind of we've, we've gone over that a bit. Was there anything else that you wanted to mention? You don't think I've mentioned or I've um, spoken over you or anything like that that you'd like people to know before we finish up? Look, I just think that having these sorts of conversations are actually really important. Talking about stuff is important because I can't tell you the number of times people, you know, I write a blog and write articles for things and often I'm invited on podcasts and I have people, you know, frequently say, oh, I found this because I was doing this and actually that helped because I thought I was the only one experiencing that. And feeling isolated is a really awful, awful thing. But I promise, I promise people who think that they're the only ones who are going through what they're going through right now, you are not alone. And finding other people who at least, you know, can can talk to you about it and understand when you're talking about things, you know, you don't need to explain the basics because they kind of get it and that can just be a truly wonderful thing. So having these conversations is really important, whether you're having them on a podcast or you're having them at the pub or you're having them in a support group or you're having them in a private messaging, whatever, Facebook group. You keep, you keep talking about TikTok. I'm too old for TikTok, but whatever it is, wherever you feel that you're connecting with people, that's, I think, something that is truly, truly wonderful and can be extraordinarily helpful. And I just, I guess that's what I would like to be my parting words there. Fair enough. I, I will say, um, much as younger people try and say that uh, you'd be too old for, for TikTok, um, I would. Oh, always, I say it. No one, no oh, one else oh, is it. I was um, st- statistically, Gen, Gen X and millennials are actually in a higher percentage than anyone else now. So you're definitely not too old. Gen X. I'm an elder millennial, so I definitely fit in that as well. So, um, yeah. Obviously, there are, there are some, there's so much we've discussed there as well, and there's, there'll be millions of things that we have missed. We know this if you're listening and saying, well, you didn't, just, you didn't talk about that. That's yeah. fine, because that's a discussion you can have with someone, or you can contact Renza, or, or you can yeah. have a look at the stuff on there and go, you know what, this is um, something that I think I would like to get involved with. There's always yeah. going to be stuff that isn't discussed in the conversation, and there, there's the stuff that we go, we go on to that we, we um, were a bit more passionate about. You know, um, obviously, stigma was something that Renza was very, very passionate on. There, yeah. part of your day job. I very much on on the um, on um, the healthcare systems, especially because I, I have certain issue with certain countries of it because it's it's just ridiculous to me. Um, but these are obviously biased because of um, our backgrounds and everything as it's well. Our experience, yeah, exactly. absolutely. Exactly. Our experiences, our interaction with it. So, um, you know, if there's something that you need to find out more please check. I'm going to put my resources um, down below, which has a lot of the mental health stuff. Um, and if you're not in the UK, don't worry. There's a link at the top. You can find worldwide links. And I know that Australian links and American and Canadian links are all in there as well. Um, I'll also be putting um, Twitter and all that kind of stuff. Whatever Renza sends me to put on there, her descriptions are going to be at the bottom as well. So you can always go and check that out. Um, thank you so much for, for joining me, uh, Renza. That, that Thanks is, for the invitation. It's lovely. Of course. And um, anyone out there, if there's anything, anybody you think actually you should be talking to them, please let me know in the comments below and I will uh, reach out to them and see if we can get something going as well. But until next time, guys, thank you very much and we'll see you again. Bye, everyone.